Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Katie Lance Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Lance. I'm an entrepreneur, social media strategist, keynote speaker, and author. But my most important role is wife and mom to our adorable two boys. I run our company, Katie Lance Consulting, side-by-side with my husband, Paul, and our passion is to help real estate professionals get smarter about how they use social media. Our Get Social Smart Academy has helped thousands of real estate agents and brokers take back their time and hone their social media strategy. Now, you may know me from social media, or maybe you've seen me from stage, or maybe this is your first time meeting me. In this podcast, I'm excited to share with you my success stories and take you behind the scenes into how I got where I am, how I've built our company, how I juggle being a wife, mom, business owner, and so much more. You'll hear from me, but also we'll be showcasing some of the great people we get the pleasure to work with inside of our academy. If you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, social media geek like me, real estate pro, or a mom, or maybe all of the above, you are in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. You're listening to episode 67 of the Katie Lance podcast. And in this podcast, I am very excited to share with you a very special conversation that I had recently on Facebook Live. I had the pleasure of interviewing a dear friend of mine and an accomplished keynote speaker and author, Valerie Alexander. And her and I had a really important conversation about unconscious bias in real estate. So we know that right now we are in uncertain times. That's probably the understatement of the year. We started with a global pandemic. And on top of that, we are in a state of social injustice. And I know for myself, uh, if I can be candid as a white woman, I know that my eyes have been opened in a way that really I think have never been opened before in terms of race and racism. And I have been working on my own self to do a lot of work to better educate myself and our family on how we can be better and how we can be actively anti-racist and how we can be a better ally. And so I'm excited to share with you my journey here on the podcast. We'll be sharing periodically from time to time uh, my journey because I think it's important to talk about it. And this conversation is one of the first steps in that for me. So uh, Valerie and I had an awesome conversation a few weeks ago on Facebook Live about unconscious bias. And the reason why I reached out to Valerie is Valerie is a uh, just an amazing speaker. She actually gave an incredible TED talk a few years ago, all about unconscious bias. And what's really interesting is the brain science behind unconscious bias. So I hope you are able to really listen um, and and really, really give, uh, give this interview the time and attention it deserves. I think it's a really, really important conversation. Um, I'm going to, in the show notes of this episode, if you're listening to this um, on my website, or if you're listening to this in whatever uh, your favorite podcast uh, player might be in the show notes below, I'm going to be linking to two books that that we talk about in the podcast today. One is white fragility, and one is called the color of law. And both of those I'm in the process of working through and reading through. And I think those are going to be great, um, great additional reading materials as you listen to this conversation today. 
I'm also going to link to Valerie's TED Talk, which I also think is a great addition to this conversation. So thank you, Valerie, for being a part of this conversation. And for all of our listeners out there, I really hope that you get as much out of this conversation as I did. Take it away. Thanks, Valerie. Thank you, Katie. I'm so happy. I'm so happy we're having this talk right now. Absolutely. Me, me too. I think it's I think it's an important time. During the time that we're in right now with everything happening with social injustice, we thought maybe this is a great opportunity to get on Facebook Live and just have a very, you know, real and honest conversation and, and talk about things like racism and what it means to be anti-racist and some of the things we're doing as two white ladies <laughs> to yeah. be to be better at all of this. And so I just want to first say, you know. We do not have all the answers, of course. Again, we're, we are coming this, at this from our own perspective, but I just thought it would be such a great time to to talk about that and to talk a little bit about our own unconscious bias and, and just so many of the, the topics that have come up. So um, I would love for those of you watching live or if you're watching later in the replay, feel free to chime in in the, in the comments and let's try to keep this as, as respectful as, as possible. I, I think that's important um, as we have this conversation. So Valerie. I'm excited to talk to you about all this. It's a it's a big it's a big topic, right? <laughs> it is. And it's it's one of the hardest things to tackle because everybody comes at it, it unable to separate yourself from your own historical and social experiences. Yeah. And so there's a great analogy. I was speaking with someone um, whose beliefs were a little who he he believed he was, he was the person who said, I'm not at all racist. I only see one race and that's the human race. We're all made of love. And he's saying these things. And I said to him, but you have to acknowledge that your beliefs are enabled by the fact that you're white. And he just wouldn't, and he refused. And, and, he, and I said to him, and that's kind of impossible to do. And he got super angry. He said, don't tell me I, something's impossible and tell me I have to do it. It was, it was a level of defensiveness I've, I've never seen from this person. Yeah. And then what I said to him, as I said, asking you to be able to see how your beliefs are impacted by the fact that you're white is the same as asking a fish to see the water it's swimming in. Oh, that's such a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I found that way too, as I'm, I'm having conversations with people and just checking my own biases and, and my own thoughts, because I, I honestly, I think as I've, been chatting with a lot of people. Um, it, it starts with it starts with your own, you know, yeah. self aculus act self. I can't even say the right word. You know what I'm trying Actualization. to say. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, it just starts with you know your own awareness of, of things, and um, it is interesting. I feel like it's it's like an onion that I've been slowly peeling back, um, and uh, I, I, I think it's I think it's hard for a lot of people. And and I do want to say really quick before we do jump in, um, for those of you who don't know Valerie. The other reason I wanted to have her um, have to chat with her about this is she gave an amazing TED talk um, about unconscious bias, and I'm going to drop the link here uh, to that in just a little bit. But um, yeah, I just I just feel like that's obviously so layered in this whole conversation. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that because I, I feel like you're you're one of the experts in this space of, <laughs> of unconscious bias, and every time you talk about it, I'm always like, oh yeah, like check my own bias <laughs> with things. What what. All of, all of my work, all my speaking work is based on brain science. And I, I speak in three areas. It's happiness, I speak on the advancement of women, and then I, now I speak on unconscious bias. And from 2016 to 2019, I was the CEO of a tech company. 
And in the context of that work, I was asked to give a TED talk about being the CEO of a tech company, a tech startup. And I had a lot to say about being a female CEO of a tech startup because my experiences were so substantially different than the experiences of my equivalent male CEOs. And so that was the core of that TED talk. And it was a, the brain science behind unconscious bias, because like I said, all my work is based on brain science and we're definitely going to get into the brain science of this. Mm -hmm. Well, that talk resonated with so many people and it was mostly about the unconscious bias against women and women in leadership roles. But I, it touched on race, it touched on nationality, um, it touched on sexual orientation, just a little, but enough to make people go, hmm. So people started reaching out to me and asking me if I would speak on unconscious bias at their event on those topics. Well, Katie, I will tell you something. I had a lot to learn. And even though I understood, like I said, the brain science, and, and I, I follow the brain studies still, like it's so interesting. There was so much culturally and socially that I didn't get right. And I'm gonna say this right now that I still don't get right. I had the extreme privilege of being one of the keynotes at an, a diversity and inclusion summit um, earlier in June, I think. I, I'm trying to remember, these things are all streaming. Now. <laughs> one of the women there who was a like renowned diversity and inclusion expert at during her, she and I got in a conversation that was part of the event. And she mentioned the phrasing she likes to be referred to as is non-white. And I said to her, I am never going to use the word non-white to describe somebody. And she said, I, I like using it because it reminds people that I'm still the other. And I said, that's why I could never use it. And she said, right. You and she said, you can't get this right. Hmm. And at first I was taken aback by that and, and bothered. And then I had to check, why am I bothered? Where is my discomfort coming from? Yeah. And I want to talk about discomfort too. <laughs> but um a week later, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a black film director. And he said, he goes, he goes I got all these phrases I can't say. He goes, I'm black, call me black. And I said to him, you know, I, I never know what to, to do. And he goes, oh, here, I'll give you some, he goes, I'll give you some comfort. You're not gonna be able to get this right. And as soon as he said that, it totally cleared up. It's like, all right, if I know from a baseline, I'm not gonna be able to get this right and I care and I keep trying and I just respect that individual as, as what they want is all that matters, then my feelings don't matter. My comfort doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'll give you a tiny thing. I, I like being called Valerie. I get really bothered when people call me Val. People will instantly just call me Val as soon as they meet me and I'm like, that's not my name. Yeah, And it is so impossible for me to say it to people. It, I am so uncomfortable saying to somebody, you know, I prefer Valerie. That is the tiniest little thing. Imagine going through every day of your life, having encountered people all day long who are saying things to you that are inappropriate, that make you uncomfortable, that signal that you are the other and the discomfort that you have to live in with that to not be able to say, well, actually, this is my preference or actually it would be more appropriate if you didn't say that. It is almost impossible for someone to say that. So if someone has the extreme courage it takes to say something like that to you, please, 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 please just make your response. Oh, thank you. 
Thank you. That's such a that's such a beautiful analogy. When you think of your name, your name is the one of the most personal things. We all you know we all hear in sales. Oh, people love the sound of their own name. Use your name, and right. and I think that's a really beautiful analogy for a lot of people to think about that. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I'd never thought about it that way. And and I have a little exercise that I love when I do the full unconscious bias training. And I did this for the California Association of Realtors. Um, we did a half day. I I love CAR. They they are do such incredible. Joel does an amazing job of really getting this stuff right. And we did a half day training for their association executives and it opens with this exercise. So I want to ask everyone who's watching now to try this. Okay. Imagine, we've got a good we've got a good crowd by the way. So. Oh good. Nice nice. Imagine you're walking into a a training on unconscious bias. It's going to be an hour long and you have to just sit for an hour to learn about unconscious bias. Now picture someone in your organization or in your sphere, someone you don't know that well, someone you're not close to but who is demographically different from you. Either they're a different race, a different nationality, um, a different age if they're older but picture let's just stick with race or nationality picture you're walking in the room with someone whose humanity you acknowledge you acknowledge that person's humanity you walk into the room together you're going to sit for an hour and as you walk to the only two chairs left in the room one of them is a hard wooden dining table chair and one of them is a big soft comfy easy chair and you're walking towards these two chairs and it's clear you're going to get there first when you get there, which chair do you pick? So many people are saying the dining chair, the hard chair. And that's absolutely right. That's what most of us would do. How many people walking up to a hard chair and a soft chair with a person one step behind you would plop down in that comfy chair and be like, hey, peace out, thanks, I'm comfy. <laughs> I got here first. <laughs> almost nobody would do that. Almost nobody would do that. Almost every one of us would take the harder chair. And you know why? because we would rather have discomfort than impose discomfort on someone else, right? Mm. Now, extrapolate that to your attitudes about race. If you have the choice between absorbing the discomfort or imposing the discomfort on someone else, choose the hard chair. Be the person who says, I'm okay being a little uncomfortable right now. Yeah. I would rather you be comfortable. So for the people who say, I would defer to the other person and ask them which chair they want. You know what's going to happen when you do that. When you turn to someone's like, oh, you choose. You know they're going to choose the hard chair because they don't want to be the jack person <laughs> out of the comfy chair in front of you. So that's that's just as bad, by the way, to turn to someone else and say, oh, why don't you make the choice? It, right. That's the equivalent, and we're doing it, and we're seeing it so much, of saying to people of color, I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me? You know what? Use the Google. <laughs> Use it the Google. That person's job to explain unconscious bias to you. It is not that person's job to explain um, uh, ingrained supremacy, systemic racism. It's not that person's job to explain to you why it's inappropriate for you to refer to a person of color as articulate in a conversation. That's, it's not that person's job to show you why that's an insult. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not a compliment. So yeah. you do the work. You absorb the discomfort. Don't turn around and say, oh, which chair do you want? Would you show me why this is racist? Well, and I, I have to say, I mean, just in the last few weeks since everything has happened with George Floyd and just everything in the news and myself trying to do my own work in terms of checking myself and educating myself and to be quite honest, being a lot more public um, than I probably ever have been in, in terms of just sort of standing up for, for what I believe in, especially with you know this entire conversation. Uh, it's been really uncomfortable. I mean, I'm uncomfortable right now. And <laughs> then, I, then I think to myself, well, gosh, wow, Katie, tough life. You've had what, two weeks of being uncomfortable? Like right. it's, it's just such a, a check for me of like, yeah, that's, that's part of it. And I was listening to a beautiful podcast yesterday and they said, you know, there's really no finish line to this. Like it's always yeah. going to be an uncomfortable. I mean, of course there's an ideal finish line that we'd all like, like to, you know, achieve, but uh, it, it's a long process. And I feel like just for my own self, if I could be pretty vulnerable, like I've just started this process and I've always considered myself like, not racist. I've always considered myself someone who wants to be inclusive of, of everyone, but I, I think I've just really, to be honest with you, recently kind of started to unpeel the layers of what all of this means and, and, and doing my own work, as you said, you know, going to the Googles and, and reaching out to people who've done some great work before me and, and just starting with me and my family and educating myself. So, and, and you're doing a great job. I saw that you're asking, what can I teach my boys? That is extremely important. So I also want to get to a little bit of brain science here to break this down so that people can understand where bias, bias, um, I'm splitting in all my work on this, I'm splitting between what is bias and what is supremacy. And I'm, I'm a little bit getting away from the word racism because now it is true. Racism is everything. Um, any belief you have about someone who's a different race from you is racism. That includes believing that, you know, if you have the belief that, black people are more athletic or Asians are better at math. That's still racism. And these are, so, so what I'm talking about, the kind of things we need to tackle are bias and supremacy right now. Yeah. So the brain science behind bias is it, it's what kept us alive for millions of years. So I talk a little about tribes because the human species started living in tribes about two million years ago. And once we began living in tribes, two things, uh, once we began living in tribes, by the way, our brain started tripling in size. Our brain was the size of a meatball two million years ago. It took about 1.2 million years to expand to the head of cauliflower we all have now. Um, and it added the prefrontal cortex. So this part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex controls our social interaction, our executive functions, our decision-making, our control of emotions, all those things that we didn't need until we were in a tribe. But the amygdala, which is the most ancient part of your brain, controls your fear response, fight or flight. Or it's actually fight, flight, or freeze. And some models say fight, flight, freeze, or flatter has the way to respond to fear. That's one of the explanations of what happens in the Me Too situations the freeze or flatter part was ignored. But going to this, the fight or flight that gets triggered, what happens is when you encounter anything you don't expect, your amygdala lights up your hypothalamus to fire up your hypothalamic pituitary axis, 
to engage your adrenal glands to release cortisol into your bloodstream. That's your stress response. If it's an extremely high level of stress, it releases adrenaline into your bloodstream. So one of the survival skills was knowing who was in and not in your tribe. Because someone who was not in your tribe triggered that danger. And that action in your brain happens in a matter of microseconds, not even milliseconds. It happens so quickly you don't know it's happening. The split second someone you don't expect comes in, your brain instantly knows not in the tribe and then releases the cortisol. The decision to say, oh no, I have no problem with this person happens in your prefrontal cortex. Well, the uh, I always ask this question. When an older brother and a younger brother are alone in a room together without supervision and they want different things, who wins? <laughs> it sounds like my house. <laughs> yeah. The older brother wins every time, which means the amygdala shuts down the prefrontal cortex. So when you have a moment of fear or even just mild stress or even encountering the unexpected, the amygdala is the first thing to react. Hmm. What that means is that when we encounter anyone who is not in our tribe, we, um, we instantly have a stress response. We have cortisol flowing through our bloodstream, which is our stress hormone. You can't change that. Mm. Two million years of evolution, uh, actually seven million years of evolution with the amygdala, is, it's what kept our species alive. You cannot change the fact that your brain has a stress response when you encounter someone who's not in your tribe. So the way you change that is by encountering is by changing the definition of what is your tribe. Hmm. So where it's you don't have the unexpected. And people always say to me, but I see everyone as equal. I don't even see color. It's like, just imagine if you're white, imagine you walk in for a job interview and the person about to interview you is black and you weren't expecting that. You can't tell me, number one, that you don't see color. You oh, I didn't notice that person was black. You liar. You 100% noticed that person was black. Yeah. That's number one. But number two, you can't tell me you don't have a moment where you're like, oh, oh. And you might, and then the next thought might be like, oh, that's fine. Like, this is great. I will right. do, but I'm not going to be treated any differently. This will be, this will go really well. But you still have that moment. Yeah. What we have to do is change what we define as the norm. We have to change what our expectations are. We have to change who we see as being in our tribe. And then we can eliminate all that, um, those instantaneous reactions. So the instantaneous cortisol reaction is a function of between seven and two million years of brain evolution that kept our species alive. That's wow. where bias comes from. That's number one. The other thing that we have to fight is supremacy which is the belief that white is better. That mm. has only been around for 400 years. That is a complete social construct. That is not happening by instinct in your brain. That is happening by decision and conditioning. That we can overcome, I believe, within a generation. And I, I've had this conversation where people are like, or, you know, God, you know, by next year. It's like, <laughs> We're all overachievers. So it's like, let's get it done, right? And I want to point out something that people, um, here, here's a hard truth here. I'm going to put everybody in their uncomfort zone right now. 
It's okay. I've been living in it. <laughs> only only a few weeks though, so. <laughs> right. The woman walking her dog in Central Park off leash, Amy Cooper. I believe I watched that video. I watched the longest version of it I could find. It wasn't. I believe her reaction came from a place of supremacy. I believe her reaction was because a black person told her she had to do something that she knew she had to do. And she didn't believe that a black person was entitled to do that. And I think that's where she went from zero to 60. I mean, you saw, she ramped up instantly. Yeah. I will share with you a week before that, if that woman was in a conversation with anybody about race, what kind of things do you think she would have said about herself? She probably would have said some of the things that you said, you know, oh, I don't see color. And... I don't see color. <laughs> I treat everybody equally. Oh. And yet, at the moment when her belief in her own entitlement got threatened. Look, I, I'll, I'll go a little bit political right now. <laughs> that's okay. Absolutely. I believe, okay. I believe that's what's happened with Mitch McConnell in the last eight years. That is a man who has literally deserted the functions of his job. Um, they, 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 he is proud of having the most do nothing Senate. And he has said uh, things, he literally said out loud, things come to the Senate to die. Like, and that, like, it is his, the core of his job is to pass legislation and he won't do it. And here's what I think happened. I think Mitch McConnell has had certain core beliefs in his whole life. He is, he grew up believing that Kentucky was a great state. He grew up believing that Jesus Christ was his Lord and savior and whether he knew it or not. And I think he knew it. He grew up believing he was better than black people. And then a black man achieved a status in his chosen profession that Mitch McConnell knew he will never ever achieve. And I think he lost his damn mind. And I think he doesn't know how to come back from that. Yeah. And that's a function of supremacy. And we can defeat supremacy. Because I don't want us to be in a place where we're like, there's only one race and it's the human race. Right. No, every race has value. Every race brings different perspective. Uh, I go into companies all the time and train on this and I train on other topics where the, the greatest value of diversity is diversity of thought. The companies that have uh, diverse leadership have 33% higher returns on average, 33% higher revenues. The companies that have a diverse board of directors are 31% valuable, more valuable in the stock market. Diversity wow. has huge value. We do not need to eliminate the concepts of diversity. What we need to do is eliminate the concept of supremacy, that any one is better than the other. Yeah, wow. That's a lot. 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 That's a, you know, yeah. I know I, I, I agree. I, I mean, I agree with, the whole, with a lot of what you're saying. And, and I think a lot of, what, when I hear you talk about that, I. You know, it's it's the, the buzzword that kind of comes up in my mind, and I, I it's not really a buzzword. It's something that's been around for a long time. Is this idea of of white privilege, and it's something that I know I didn't really understand. I'm still unpacking it in a in a big way. And I I just started reading. I mentioned this before we went on the call. I just started reading. Uh, I finally got it because it was on back order. White fragility, 
And um, so many of my black friends, so many of my friends in general who are trying to just get better educated about all of this recommended this. So I just started reading this. I'm going to drop the link in the chat. Um, but you mentioned you, you, you read that and, and, um, uh, and it kicked my ass. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's how I feel like I'm like, I'm, I gotta get ready for this. Gotta, I gotta buck up. And uh, yeah. after a year of doing unconscious bias training yeah. for companies, I read that book wow. and then went, Oh damn. And wow. I looked at how many things I got wrong. I, I will share with you a personal story so that people um, can understand that there's that it, there's all getting it wrong. I mean, we're all going to get it wrong, and here are just the, the things that you don't think of. Um, I had a an interaction with an Af with a black woman um, that I I celebrate Juneteenth. Um, I actually think we should have a national holiday celebrating the end of slavery. Um, and I, when I first, I moved to Texas for college, it's, it was a holiday, it's a state holiday in Texas. And when I moved to Texas in college and I first heard that there was a holiday to celebrate the end of slavery, I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I posted something about it on Facebook and this black woman who was in my circle, and this is someone I know. So it wasn't, she, she was like, I don't really like white people celebrating that. And, and she, she posted an article from a, a, a black professor. And I read the article and I took a paragraph out of it. I posted back and this went back and forth about me being like, are you kidding? Like, I, this is so important. And um, and she said like something like, I'm not comfortable with you lecturing me about these kind of things. And it was weird and it just escalated. Mm. And it escalated in a way that when I went back and read the whole thing through, I still felt I was right. Because being right is so important. <laughs> I felt I was right. But I also felt like this does not, this does not look good. Yeah. And I'm going to say right now, the optics weren't good. So mm -hmm. I copied it and then I deleted it and it went away. Yeah. And then here's where I got it really, really wrong. I mean, first off, engaging with her in a way that wasn't just pure listening was getting it wrong, number one. Mm -hmm. That was a little wrong. Yeah. The big wrong, I asked my back black friends if I was okay. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing you'll learn in the book, White Fragility. I reached out to, and, and I, I am very, very lucky that I have a very wide circle of friends who I could ask, but I only asked my black friends. Um, and I, I reached out to several of them and I shared the link, the, the screenshots and I said, what? And every one of them came back to me and said some form of, um, well, it wasn't the best, but you're okay. Again, Mm -hmm. Who am I imposing the discomfort on? Right. I mean, have you ever? This is this is my favorite thing. This is why your black friends aren't telling you when you're being racist. When was the last time you told someone they had bad breath? <laughs> Good point. Good point. I, I was in an organization yeah. with one person that we met regularly, and this one person had bad breath to the point where we were all talking about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And finally, I'm like. Two years in, I finally took him aside and I just gave him a referral to a periodontist. And I said, here, this might help with an issue you're having. Wow. But that's how uncomfortable it is to tell someone they have bad breath. Think about how much more uncomfortable it is to tell someone you're being racially problematic. Yeah. I, I have lost friends. I have people who literally will never speak to me again because I had to point out to them that what they were doing or saying was racially problematic. And we absolutely cannot do that to our black friends. Yeah. We cannot say to them, hey, am I being okay? Mm. 
because you're putting them in a position of either having to disrupt the link of your friendship or go against their race. Yeah. And, and so I, I, if I could go back in time, what I wish I'd done is I wish I'd shared that conversation with all my woke white friends <laughs> and said, is this okay? And have them be like, no girl, that was not okay. <laughs> I, I think that's, I think that's really so wise. I mean, I, I'm just thinking of things where I've done probably the same thing, you know, and it puts that person in, again, kind of that uncomfortable position. Right. What are they going to say to you? What are they right. going to say? And um, you, said, you said something a second ago, too, about like wanting to be right. And I see that with so many conversations, you know, now that I'm being a little bit more vocal online in terms of my opinions and, and just I'm trying to use my, my, my platform for, for good, you know, it's in some ways. And uh, um, I've just I've just seen that with a lot of folks in terms of conversations like this need to be right versus just listening and that's honestly the biggest thing I'm just trying to do right now. It's not necessarily come at it. Like I, I don't know at all. I'm, I'm just in the beginning stages of try, trying to unpack a lot of this, but listening and just, you know, listening without the intent of like, what's next? What am I going to say next? But just like really like hearing what people have to say. So powerful. There's, there's another thing I say in the training that I really hammer home and it's so hard for people to hear. It's hard to accept. And I actually had to check myself this week on this very thing and that is your intentions don't matter your intentions don't matter all that matters is the outcome of your behavior so for example mm -hmm. i am going to be speaking in a corporation um, in july on this topic and their ceo they're, they're sending me all of the stuff that they're communicating and their ceo sent out a communication that i saw a sentence in it and i was like whoa, this is problematic. And I reached out to the woman who's my contact there, who is a person of color. And I said to her, is the CEO open to getting feedback on this kind of thing? And she came back with this extremely defensive email about how that was that, that like email was written by our outside consultant who we've been working with for years. And she's a person of color and she grew up very poor and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, by the way, that completely explained it. The sentence made perfect sense if written by a woman of color who grew up poor. It can't be said by a white male CEO. Mm. But I, she, I could tell she has probably, this is a woman who is a woman of color who is running a diversity initiative at a major corporation. She has, the last two weeks have probably been simultaneously the best and worst two weeks of her life. The best because now people in her company are having the conversations that she's been wanting them to have for as long as she's been working there, and the worst because of the conversations they're having. Yeah. And I realized I contributed to that. Now, I don't take back. So what all I did is I wrote back and said, thank you for clarifying where that sentence came from. It makes so much more sense. It has so much value coming from a woman of color. I bumped on the fact that it was in an email written by a white man, but I completely understand. So then I left it at you can do with that information what you will. And then the next thing I wrote was, I'm so sorry I offended you. That was not my intention. And I stopped and I reread it and I was like, intentions don't matter. But <laughs> no, that was not my intention. I just yeah. said, I'm so sorry I offended you. And yeah. that was it. And I left it at that because <sighs> I, I, I have one more little story um, that I want to share. Uh, and that is, I, my, my bookkeeper and I meet at a Starbucks 
and mm-hmm. she's fabulous. She's uh, she has purple hair. I love her. Um, she's also the most woke white woman, but not in a not in a performative way at all. She is the person I can say to her, "Am I wrong about this?" or how, and she will tell me exactly the right thing. So, and we don't meet often enough. My books are so anyhow. We were, at <laughs> we were sitting on those big round tables in Starbucks. So various people came and sat with us and left, and you know, while we were there for the hours that we were doing my books. Yeah. And um, one little family came up, and it was a woman and her three children. The kids were as a little boy who was nine, little girls who were probably around six and seven. They were adorable. The woman was white, 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 like you and me, white, and the mm-hmm. two children were black. And the little girls were obsessed with my bookkeeper's hair because it was purple. So we were talking about purple. We were talking about what books they were reading. We were talking about what they were going to do later that day. It was so much fun. And then they got up and left. They were not there for maybe 15 minutes. They got up and left. They turned around to my bookkeeper and I said, I am so curious about that little family. And she says, I know. Meaning we both did the right thing by not asking about that family. Because the minute we ask, the minute we ask a question like, oh, are they adopted? <laughs> or are they yours? Or, oh, are, are you married to their father? Whatever question we ask yeah. makes them the other. And it doesn't matter what our intentions are. It doesn't matter that we're not racist. We're just curious. It doesn't matter. Like, we love these little children. We did. We, by the way, we did. I mean, we loved hanging out with those kids, yeah. but we don't get to make them feel like the other in a question that they are probably hear their mother get asked all day long, or worse, that they are asked directly. Oh, is that your mommy? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, we, we you wouldn't you don't get to do that. And and the very people who say I don't even see color are the people who would ask that question and not think twice about it. Number one, because it's a lie. You do see color. That's why you asked. And number two, because they're only looking at their own beliefs. They can't see the water they're swimming in. Mm. And so by only looking at your own beliefs, you don't recognize the impact you have on someone else. And so if, if anybody can take one thing away from this, it's that stop looking at yourself and what you're radiating out, look at the recipient and what they're receiving from you. Mm. And make that, make the free enjoyment of life without being made to feel the like they're the other, your goal in all interactions. I think it's a beautiful reminder. Think of the other person, for sure. So I want to be respectful of our time. I, I know we uh, kind of talked about how long we were gonna we were gonna go, but I do want to touch on. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. It's all good. No, I love it, and I, I could see um, some really beautiful conversation happening. And if if we don't address your comments live on this Facebook Live, I know I'll be hopping in the comments later. And you know, Valerie, if you have some time over the next few days, if, if you're able to hop in and, and kind of join the conversation, um, one point I just want to make since I know we've got such a heavy real estate audience is the second book that I'm about to dive into, which also arrived in my Amazon order today. And that is the color of law. And I have to admit it wasn't until uh, probably about three years ago that I really ever understood this idea of redlining and just the, 
the history of fair housing. And I'm, I'm, I, I remember hearing about it and just embarrassed that I didn't, I didn't know. And so I'm, you know, part of my journey in terms of just um, getting better and, and learning more and educating myself. That's so that's the, that's the next one on my list. I will also drop that below. You mentioned you also did have read that well, one I too. Want, so. I want to talk about the color of law for a second as a book because yeah. um yeah, and I, you haven't had the chance to absorb it yet, right? You haven't had the chance I ha to I have it. not. No, I've just, uh, so I've just held it in my hands. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a great start. Redlining is a tiny, tiny piece of that. And I, I hear that book associated with the concept of redlining all the time. And so I know a lot of people are saying, um, oh, I already get redlining. I know that happened. Yeah. That redlining is 10 pages of a 300-page book. Wow. Um, okay. let, let me share some other facts from that book that will devastate you. I, I, that book, I, I have never felt so heartbroken. I, I had to slow down the rate at which I was consuming that book because so much of it was so devastating. I live in Los Angeles. The 10 freeway here in Los Angeles, I'm, I'm, I almost started to cry. I'm going to stop. <laughs> The 10 freeway in Los Angeles is a mile south of where it was originally planned to be because they they bulldozed a black neighborhood to put it through there without compensating the homeowners. A middle-class black neighborhood got bulldozed. To, in fact, the, the section in that book about the interstate freeway system, the interstate freeway system was built much more inexpensively by literally bulldozing black-owned houses. Wow. Without compensation. I had no idea. Oh, this it gets worse and worse. Wow. The when when federal minimum wage was created, mm -hmm. the, they determined that minimum wage in the South could be lower than minimum wage in the North because uh, how like uh, cost of living was lower in the South than in the North. There is one county in Delaware that was designated Delaware. Just in case you have like. Yeah, Delaware, where you get to go to the beaches in, in February, whatever. Right, right. One county in Delaware was designated as the South because it was 90% African-American and there were two factories there. And wow. that way they could pay them less minimum wage. Wow. The part that broke my heart the most, you know, this will get you, Katie. The Ford Motor Plant in Richmond uh, had a largely African-American workforce and the UAW at the end of World War II, thank God, I, I the UAW, when you read this, you're going to be like, wow, I support them wholeheartedly now. At the end of World War II, they said to the factories that had employed black people during the war, you don't get to fire our union members to replace them with the white people who are returning from war. If someone has a job now, they have a job tomorrow, no matter what their color is. Hmm. So the Ford Motor wow. Company moved from Richmond to Milpitas. And the reason this touched me so deeply is that I grew up in Milpitas. And when I was at Berkeley, I lived in Richmond. I knew ex I knew the intersections they were talking about in this book. Mm -hmm. And as soon as Ford announced that they were building a factory in Milpitas, all the surrounding areas put a, a created racial covenants for their neighborhoods. So none of the black factory workers could live within an hour of where they were working. Wow. To keep their jobs, they had to commute an hour each way. Wow. So it is color of law, that book. And by the way, I just mentioned three facts from it. There are hundreds. There are 
hundreds of things like what I just talked about in that book. And when you, anybody who says, oh, well, yeah, we, after the 1964 Civil Rights Act, everybody had fairness. Like we had, we had busing. So why aren't they taking advantage of school systems and blah? Well, first off, anyone who has kids knows how much, how much is your child's sleep an impact on how well they do in school? So if your child has to ride a bus an hour and a half longer than anybody each way to get to a good school, how well are they going to do? Mm. I, I, I'm sorry. No, I got so back to you again. <laughs> I, want to, I want to address one comment that came in, which I really appreciate from Marie, who asked about the woman who said she didn't want me celebrating Juneteenth. And yeah. is that racism? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say first off right now, no, it is not racism. The way I, I, this is a controversial topic, but the way black people feel about white people is not racism, it's self-defense. And hmm. if that makes you uncomfortable, live with it. There, there is so much. I never that, thought about it that way. That's a great way of putting it. So if this woman says to me, I don't want you celebrating Juneteenth because you're white. Mm-hmm. That is because there is a pain created in the world that started with slavery that continued with the Tulsa massacre, that continued with the KKK, that continued with redlining, that continued with naming one county in Delaware the South so you didn't have to pay black people the same amount that you paid white people. That continuum created a pain in her that when she sees me celebrate Juneteenth, it enhances that pain. And so, no, I am not going to stop celebrating Juneteenth. I think it's a wonderful holiday. But if a black person says to me, I don't like you celebrating that, my best possible answer is, please tell me why. Please, sh- and not, not explain it to me, not teach me, mm-hmm. but just let me hear. Let me hear your experience in life. And I will say, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not going to say I will change. And I'm not going to say, I will. I'm, I'm not changing. I'm still celebrating, which is what I felt like I had to do the first time around. Yeah. I dig our heels in. We got to be right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And by the way, the great majority of my black friends, you can't, and again, you can't use your friend, you can't use any one person to symbolize the whole, but the great majority of black people I know have no problem with white people celebrating Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. But if a black person does have a problem with that and shares it with you, just listen. Yeah. All I had to do was listen. All I had to do was tell me what your lived experience is that puts you in a place where you don't want to see me celebrate this. And I would have learned something. I think that's a great place to, uh, it's probably a great closing point, just to just to listen. If there's anything I think that I know, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to do better at is just listening without the intent of, but this is what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just, it's hard. I think it's, it's, uh, I love what you talked about with the brain science. I mean, gosh, we could have a, so, so we could, yeah. we could probably extend this yeah. conversation quite a, quite a lot longer. Um, if people would want to get in touch with you, Valerie, people who are not c- connected with you yet, uh, how, what's the best way? What's the best way that the people can uh, um, reach out to you? Well, I'm old school, so email is really a great way to reach me. Hey, I love um, email. <laughs> I am uh, Valerie at speakhappiness.com. Speak, S-P-E-A-K. Valerie at speakhappiness.com. Um, I am a little less on Facebook these days uh, just because there was a moment in the last two weeks where Facebook became a very unhealthy place for me to be. 
uh, yeah. in the conversations I was having because I grew up in Indiana and went to college in Texas. And there were people in my life I am not don't have the intestinal fortitude to educate anymore. So, um, so I had to step away from that. Um, so pe there, are, there are people who still reach out to me through Facebook Messenger. It's fine. I get it. It takes a little longer. But if you want to get to me directly, email. Again, it might take a couple days to get back. So, yeah, I'm here. Well, I will put uh, I will put your email in the uh, in the chat here. One of the things I, I usually like to do after a Facebook Live is I'll go back and kind of edit the text uh, of our Facebook Live so we can uh, not not necessarily edit the conversation, but just put in all the links. And so I'm going to add the links of the books, and then I, I would love for people who are watching if they haven't seen your TED Talk, it's really really powerful, and uh, I know you really dive into so much. Um, it's just, you know, you kind of gave us a taste today of some of the things that you talk about, but, um, and on a side note, any of you watching who are looking for a great speaker, hello, like <laughs> she's the real deal. Valerie's amazing. So I'm just, I'm so grateful for this time together. And, and, uh, I'm grateful that we got to spend this kind of just like sitting in the uncomfortable, right? Like just kind of marinating in it and having these open conversations as two white women who are, we're just trying to figure it all out. Who, who who want to be allies? Who want exactly. to? Like I said, I was actually who want to get this right, but there's there's not getting it right. There's I just know. doing your best. And Katie, I want to thank you so much for reaching out to me like last week when you said we're scheduled for a Facebook Live about happiness. Do you still want to do that? And when I came back and said, let's do it about race. And you were like down for that. And I was all, I was so grateful for one, your sensitivity that we didn't just plow ahead and do this about happiness. Which, yeah. A future. We'll do that someday. Yes, exactly. Um, absolutely. But I'm, I was so grateful for that message. And then I'm so grateful that you were open to this and I have watched everything you've been doing. Um, I like Facebook and Instagram for the last couple of weeks in terms of the way you're you're approaching this topic and it's so courageous and i'm so happy to be associated with you thank you thank you i'm just just continuing to try to be better and do better and and learn and listen you know as we said so well thank you everyone for uh, for tuning in today i can see there's lots of Great comments coming through. I, I so appreciate all of you who watch live. Like I said, I'm going to hop in the comments later over the next few days and and uh, and just you know reach out and connect with a lot of you. I know, um, you know, if Valerie's able to, I know she will as well. Um, and you know, it's just again kind of the, the beginning of the conversation. So let's hold each other accountable, you know, and let's all do our own work in our own life, in our own world, in our own ecosystem, our own family, and um, you know, let's let's. At the risk of sounding a little Pollyanna-ish, let's try to make the world a better place, you know, with, with where we are in the world. So anyways, those are my, my, my last thoughts. Anyways, thank you so much, Valerie, for being here. I so appreciate you. And uh, I appreciate everyone for tuning in. All right. Until next time, my friends. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for listening. If you've liked this podcast, I'd love if you'd subscribe and leave me a review. Also, make sure you visit me over at katielance.com where you can sign up for our free email newsletter, find out about upcoming events I'm speaking at, and check out what our Get Social Smart Academy is all about. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.